Hello and welcome to the AdTech with a Like Audience podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a Like Audience, the premier audience targeting company with high-performing mobile audience segments. Every month, we spotlight leading executives, CEOs, and marketers from industry-leading companies. My name is Duncan Craig. I've been a business and technology journalist in the APAC region for a decade and worked in ad tech content and comms since 2013. We're aiming to speak to many interesting people in the ad tech and digital marketing advertising industry across half the world. So welcome to episode 14 of the Ad Tech with a Like Audience podcast. Um, today, we have... Xiaoping, head of Southeast Asia for LiveRamp, the data collaboration platform of choice for the world's most innovative companies. We look forward to learning today about how LiveRamp is approaching digital advertising in the new world of addressability, identity, and collaboration. And joining us once again is Bosco Lam, the co-founder of A Like Audience and CEO. Bosco is an addressability working member of the IAB Tech Lab in the US, has expertise in behavioral economics and consumer data, and is passionate about empowering marketers to reach their target customers through the connection of data and media, while also developing privacy-safe audience targeting solutions. Bosco Xiaoping, welcome to the Like Audience AdTech Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you, Duncan, and our pleasure to have Xiaoping with us today. Thank you. Xiaoping, thanks for your time again. I guess there's a lot to digest um, about LiveRamp and you, the, your vision and also your personal vision on where the market is going, whether it's big identity or data clean rooms and addressable advertising. You've been in the data space for a long time. Where do you think we're at right now? Well, I think, uh, you know, at the moment, given kind of Google's announcement, everyone's quite a lot of people are kind of looking for solutions to make sure that they are able to uh, continue to do what they're currently doing. Um, and I do think that I'm talking about Cookieless for a while now. And uh, I think the evolution to looking at how we collaborate with data, how, because uh, first-party data is going to become very important, how do people collaborate with each other to make sure that, one, there is continuity, two, is uh, there is a mutual benefit, there is a win-win, and three, how do they generate kind of the business value um, out of that collaboration? Interesting, Shopping, you mentioned about data collaboration. Um, I think we want to set a stage here today that everyone knows about the value of data collaboration, but each of us are kind of afraid or not sure, they're uncertain how to collaborate in a, first of all, privacy-friendly way, um, legal way, and also uh, to respect the rights of each uh, consumers. Actually, um, Cookieless is only... Uh, I know everyone has been talking that for years, and that is only a subset of identities, right? Um, we have names, address, and other identities. And also identities is only one of many attributes or columns, I would say, when we come into data collaboration. Not only identities, we may have transactional data, we may have other sensitive information. And if we zoom out even further, it is not only about advertising, but you know, today when we train our AI model, um, we also need a lot of first-party data in that 
practice. So um, it is an interesting topic, how we come across with first-party data, how we collaborate uh, in a more restricted way. Um, I think that would be a good uh, stage for today's conversation. Absolutely. Thanks, Jane. Thank you very much. Uh, I guess it could, could be a confusing landscape. Um, Xiaoping, what sort of help in your role professionally are you providing to brands and advertisers trying to navigate this future? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Bosco mentioned about uh, privacy and obviously when you, in, uh, you're pre- preparing for cookies and you actually want to uh, embark into, you know, because I think the thing is that when you have your first party data, you only know as much as you know about the customer in your own space, right? So how do you gain more insights, et cetera? So this is about collaborating with partners out there uh, who may be able to give you more insights about your customer. But obviously, when doing this, privacy is of utmost uh, importance. Uh, you're going to make sure that we respect the privacy of our customers. Um, and I think that's that's something that uh, um, I'm passionate about. And I think uh, in, in my role as in, in LiveRamp, it's something that uh, we're, we're helping brands prepare for that and knowing kind of how to make sure that you get the right consent from your customers and also uh, making sure you have the right infrastructure to be able to help you uh, facilitate that collaboration um, and uh, make sure that when there is an exchange, there's an exchange in value. Shabin, you mentioned a very good point about uh, the purpose of that consent, right? And I think the brand or the retailers have to deliver a clear purpose of what sort of consents that they're acquiring and what sort of service or value add they're returning to the consumers. So actually, I came across a few cases like um, the brand, they are offering customer support. Uh, like any complaints or any delivery services, then there's a legit consent uh, to collect uh, maybe a phone number, um, delivery address. But you have to respect that purpose. You cannot extend this consent without the users opt-in maybe to direct marketing, um, third-party sharing, um, unless you also deliver a clear message um, why you have to acquire additional purposes. And once the consumer agree and opt into these extended consents, then you are able to perform that actions. So, um, yeah, this is actually a good point that brands and retailers today have to be aware of mm-hmm. when consumers uh, privacy rights. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. I mean, it's very um, complex topic, of course. Um, we are moving into finally a post cookie world. I know, Bosco, you think it's a we've got to move on beyond that. Because Mozilla and Safari are gone, and Chrome will join that lack of addressability challenge. Do you think that we're going to rapidly move into a post-cookie solutions world? Yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, when you know two enterprise come hands in hand to collaborate on data, uh, obviously they need a common key such that they will join um, data in certain ways. Uh, obviously, we can talk about uh, the privacy enhancing technologies later on in details, how to facilitate this join in a uh, privacy-friendly way. Um, but at the end of the day, there needs to be some common keys of uh, two parties coming into the game. Uh, maybe, Xiaoping, you have uh, some ideas on that. You're rightly pointing out the reality is already 40% of the web's already cookie-less, right? So actually, 
um, there are opportunities right now that if you tap yeah. to uh, a cookieless solution, you can actually benefit from reaching this 40% that you would never have gotten. So there already is your kind of one business value that you can bring immediately if you're, if you're looking at cookieless solution. But I think the reality is that Google's already announced the uh, the timelines. So people are kind of moving, accepting the fact that you have to do it. Um, and now it's like, what's beyond that? How do we just look at a solution, but how do we make sure that um, the solution is going to bring us continuity in the value uh, that is going to be able to generate to the business? So I think Bosco, your point about an identifier, obviously, first party data is important. And to collaborate on first party data, uh, we need to make sure that there are privacy compliance, no PII is shared. Uh, I think the, the technology that enables that, uh, and, and I think the, the idea is also not to be able to identify down to a segment of one, right? You need to make sure that it's a segment of customers and you're not identifying somebody to that's Bosco Lamb. That's important to make sure that you have a solution in place that uh, where it's inherently privacy by design, right? So the, the solution is to have privacy as part of its, uh, in all of its aspects of design. Yeah, absolutely. We're clearly moving towards, uh, you could call it the anonymized web or uh, the consent platform web, you could argue that. At the same time, we've also seen an explosion in data clean room, that space, maybe last two or three years, though you could argue in the last six months, people are now talking more about collaboration rather than clean rooms. So I'd be You've been in the data space a long time, Xiaoping. How do you see what's happening right now? And how, what do you think the key issues are that advertisers need to think about? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting time to be in um, because before it was just about how do you use first-party data for your own marketing, right? So now it's about oh, how do I use first-party data in collaboration with partners uh, out there? I think what's important is, is the so what after that, right? What do you do with that data? What do you do after you've shared and you've exchanged insights? Because ultimately, the aim needs to be about understanding your customer better, bringing better customer experiences. And end of the day, it's about also about how do you use that to make sure that you're bringing value back to the customer as well as to the organizations. So I think that so what is, are you using the insights for activations, for measurement, to enrich your understanding about the customer so that you can service them better? So I think that that piece of so what after you've done that collaboration it is going to be key. And you need to use it in a way that's going to bring value back to the customer. Ultimately, the customer is at the center of all of this. Thank you. Bosco, I'm sure you got some views on this, my friend. Yeah, actually, I want to add to that so what scenario one step before, um, especially in the head of CMOs. Mm -hmm. Obviously, over the decades, they know about the value of data elaboration, but the risk sits in first legal. Um, in the past, without clean rooms, um, mostly the data collaboration is bounded by contract. If there are breaches, then what would be the compensation is? But once the data is leaked, that is, that's it. And that reputation, uh, the cost of all these uh, created a lot of concerns, right? From a CMO's point of view, but they are not well trained as lawyers or legals. So that's why going back to the point, before clean rooms happens, 
a lot of this data collaboration is only bounded by legal contracts. And it is more like aftermath, how you're going to clean up the mess. And now we are creating a technology that by default, you control who have what access to what data and in what ways to that data being reviewed to external parties. And this is well described and well designed before any real data is being uh, shared. So I think now the game plan is to play a more defensive way, I think, um, because we are only governed by legal contracts. But now we have a more active approach in terms of who and what, to what level we want to share the data. So I think it really helps a lot of uh, CMOs out there. Um, they do not need to be a uh, data privacy officers. They don't need to be a CIO. And they can still enjoy the benefits in a more secure way to collaborate on data. Yeah. Thank you, Bosco. That That is a very real-world story for us here in Australia because two years ago, I won't name them, a major telecoms carrier had a major customer data breach, millions of data points of private files, and... Um, the reputation loss is significant. And again, it comes down to software and where, but mostly where are you storing and sharing that data? So that's, that's a real world risk. I would agree with that 100%. Yeah, I want to add one point. Um, so we can also conceptually think uh, clean room is more than only two parties dumping the data in it. There's a more defined, like a log sheet about who and when uh, all this access is going through. So when there's an incident or you want to trace all the way back, this is actually a good proof points about um, all these uh, collaboration details. Sure. I think it's also fundamentally when you choose a partner for a collaboration platform, uh, one of the aspects as you're choosing a partner is to make sure that uh, privacy and uh, that, you know, that aspect is taken into account. And uh, generally then, do you actually have to reveal all of your personal information or uh, do you use pseudonymized ID to actually do the match? There are solutions and I think that's quite important because I think uh, by having kind of that layer, to your point, it takes the kind of heat off the CMO to say, oh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, there's no not sharing PII, it's matched on an identifier, so it's privacy by design and all of that. So I think that's it's a very important uh, thing. And I also want to add another point to that is uh, when two companies come to the collaboration in the past, when we have that concept of data sharing, that is kind of scary, right? I give yeah. you my Excel, exactly. or I give you my databases, yeah, exactly. and you read everything line by line. Exactly. Right now with a clean room, or I would say in general technology, right? Yes. That would enable two parties first, they don't need to share anything out. Maybe they have a helicopter view of the data schema, like what columns you have, what data types you have. And then we can add in a lot more like a privacy layer, uh, like differential privacy, uh, which we can aggregate a lot more insights and to only distribute certain uh, insights that no reverse engine is allowed. So we can actually protect individual data. You can protect the data owner. We can also protect the risk of uh, oversharing individual information. So you are not singling out any signal or any footprints of the consumers, yeah. but overall, you can still extract the business value from an aggregated point of view. So I think this is what drives us ahead and innovate uh, from a data collaboration point of view. We don't need to need 
Scotland, you made a purchase at a coffee shop, $5 today. But we may have an aggregate view, um, maybe 10% of your customers uh, is the uh, top spenders in uh, coffee. Um, that is maybe adequate enough for your attribution use case, maybe for your segmentation use case, or for your market research use case. Interesting use cases. That's We're going to see a lot more use cases coming up, a lot more innovation, no doubt, Bosco. Thanks. Great point. Xiaoping, how, I guess for LiveRamp and um, how are brands collaborating with these new identifiers? Uh, I guess the company has the, its own solution in the marketplace. Do you want to speak to that at all? I think brands are onboarding, coming on board. Um, obviously, as I said, they... Their knowledge of their customers is only what they know. So, you know, I think, you know, uh, a classic is you've got a CPG brand who will collaborate with a retailer to get more insights about, hey, what are my, what are my customers buying? What other, what other products are my customers buying? What, how are they spending, et cetera? So I think some of this is to get more insights. So one of the use cases to get kind of to share insights, to get more insights. But ultimately, I think the insights is to, how do we then use the insights to generate greater value for me, my brand, as well as obviously for my partner who's shared me, you know, who's given me that data. So it's also for the retailer. So um, that. And um, I think the other area that we also, in terms of collaboration, is in measurement. I think with a lot of, given a lot of spend uh, with data, things are, a lot of our spend is a lot, is very measurable. So it's again, it's what's the impact of uh, my, the investment that I've made. Um, I think this, this involves one is obviously, if I go back to the CPG and retailer example, uh, yeah. CPG and retailer, obviously I've invested X amount in media. Um, I've driven at that amount of return, but also if I've placed uh, media placed at outside in the ecosystem. How do I get some of those uh, exposure back or some of those responses? How are my customers responding to the ads that I've placed or my messaging or my offer? I think if you combine all of that, that's great insights to one is to help you measure kind of the effectiveness of the campaign. Um, two is also how do I then use that to test, iterate and make sure that I optimize uh, the next time around I, I run the campaign or or the next time my next investment uh, in the, with the retailer. Interesting, because like for, we, we mentioned about like CPG brands, we also mentioned retailers. Actually, I'm always curious how this love and hate relationship is happening. Well, maybe for CPG, they rely a lot on retailers. But for some certain brands, they may also have their own uh, brand.com, right? They have their own direct-to-consumers channel. In the meantime, they will still rely on retailers for some of the distributions. Shopping, do you think this clinical technology would actually facilitate this love and hate relationship so they can come on board ready to collaborate on data versus in the past, two parties are too hesitant to collaborate on that? I mean, yeah, I think it's interesting because I worked in the retail business as well. So uh, yes, it's a love-hate relationship. Uh, but end of the day, I think you recognize that as much as we are, we negotiate, there's friction, but in coming together, uh, actually you can drive a lot more value to each other as well as ultimately end of the day to the customers. Uh, it's an interesting and uh, kind of ever friction, kind of frictional relationship. So uh, yeah. 
So the trade sales within a retailers now wear a lot more hats, right? They yeah. have a media team, they have the marketing team. Well, I mean, I think we see that's the trade relationship. It's about how much are you going to help me sell through? I think the where we talk about retailers also, how do the retailers try to get some brand money from the brands? How do you use the uh, the retailer space or the retailers kind of audiences or their, their customers uh, as a brand building exercise? So I think uh, it's definitely a, a win-win relationship for, for both. And I think uh, also if you extend that beyond just marketing, if you think about kind of assortment, in-store, distribution, logistics, I mean, this this partnership, this collaboration beyond just transaction data could extend to kind of those other more operational aspects. I mean, the extent of collaboration is actually huge. It could impact kind of other aspects of the, of the business as well. Interesting. I actually came across another use case that is intra-company collaboration on a delivery, right? So just now I mentioned like brand.com, you have your direct-to-consumer brand, mm-hmm. maybe you have another sub-brand that rely on retailers. Yeah. So actually, um, a mother group may have a few sister brands that may compete yeah. in certain level. How does it work like for intra-company data cleaning collaboration? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Because if you lo- look at a lot of the big, uh, groups uh, today they have competing brands um, and I mean there is obviously strategic reasons why they have competing brands but uh, I think one of the certainly my role at life right, we work with a, a lot of organizations also to use the solution to facilitate that sharing um, of data between two competing brands within the within the organization I mean uh, end of the day as the big kind of mother organization um my ability to bring all insights to understand about one customer across all of my brands supersedes kind of the brand's individual kind of, if I may call it selfishness, not to share the data, right? But then how do you facilitate that sharing in a way that's comfortable uh, for both the brands? So to the point we brought, you know, we, we mentioned earlier, it's about making sure uh, there are privacy uh, factors in place, permissioning, you don't share everything, you share what you need to share and all of those factors in place so that the brand themselves are comfortable sharing. I mean, by sharing, again, is uh, for the greater good, it actually is a win-win relationship. So there needs to be a really strong internal champion to drive this. Absolutely, absolutely. And often I think uh, a lot of this, uh, it needs to be from the top, right? There has to be a direction uh, to share. That's that's often the case kind of to make sure that uh, organizations do it and do it uh, effectively. And actually it goes beyond uh, CMOs, right, of two sub-brands because we mentioned one dimension is brand and brand collaboration. But another dimension could be um, cross-department, right? Um, you may have a customer support department that have your identities and filing maybe complaints or uh, returns. While in your front-end sales team, you may have your uh, coupons, your promotion. How you join the dots for this consumer journey is actually another use case of intra-company data collaboration, right? So you can join the sales data, you can join your customer support data, you can join your promotional data, such that you can formulate a full view of your existing customers' behaviors. Yes, absolutely. And again, it's, you know, if you extend that, how the customers are behaving informs 
of how if you're in a store or you know or even even if you're a dot com business how you should be how often you should be replenishing you know uh, your assortment what sort of uh, assortment you're carrying at what location um, extending to logistics how do you organize it i think there's a vast you know uh, kind of like scope of uh, collaboration well that is a huge workload <laughs> absolutely well <laughs> we you. have we have technology to support <laughs> that's a fascinating um set of viewpoints team um all I can say is the, the retail sector globally is huge, as we know, and it seems to be driving a lot of this innovation, this need to have first-party data set up properly and also understand what the consumers want. Like you say, shopping, the consumer is now at the centre of the discussion. There are, I guess there are also tons of challenges and interesting developments ahead and pace of innovation that you talk about, Bosco, won't increase. I guess last question is, Bosco, first, what do you think the market will be talking about and focusing on in the next two years across the broad depth of topics we touched on today? Well, I think the challenges would be we have um, a huge um, scope of uh, use cases. We rethink big. But in terms of execution, right, um, how we get the resources, how we prioritize with um, all these pieces and formulate the big picture, I think there's still some gaps in between. Uh, obviously, we need to have a CIO, um, a chief legal officer, uh, CMOs, and all the business use case buy-in. Um, and I think the resources and also the priorities has to um, formulate a good plan uh, before we execute this um so yeah in general i would say think big well on down to earth how we can execute there is still gaps in between what do you think shopping yeah i, I agree i think uh i mean certainly in the next two years you know you're, you're kind of onboarding you're 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 getting kind of getting things uh up but yeah. i think it's really then about exploring the possibilities right so you know what what can be done? Thinking creatively about what the solutions are, what 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 methods of collaboration, who I collaborate with, uh, what are the more important use cases that I'm collaborating with, and to your point is how do we make sure that we get we make that happen, uh, and you know sort of like again test, iterate, you know kind of repeat and make sure that we're efficient in that. We, Kind of, uh, I think it, it it'll be it'll be uh it'll be an interesting time of uh exploring exploring kind of the the possibilities the use cases exploring different uh try and testing different things I think it's a great period of innovation. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Xiaoping Bosco. That was fascinating. Appreciate that. And just to wrap up for our audience, thank you so much for listening. To find the show notes, the transcripts, and more information about Alike Audience's segment offerings, just jump onto our website, www.alikeaudience.com. And um, to our listeners, if you enjoyed that episode, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review. We'll catch you in the next session. Thank you very much.